you know, nobody held a gun to our head, as you said, and said, you have to sign up on Facebook or, you know, X, Y, and Z will happen to you. We all did it um, voluntarily, uh, new shiny things, you know, it, it all it all looked quite nice and, and, and good to us. And we all said, let's, let's make use of these uh, incredibly f- and, and free products. Unless you live under a rock, you would have noticed over the last couple of weeks that social media has been all of a flutter with people deeply concerned about a recent update to WhatsApp, WhatsApp's privacy policy, and the implications that it has for those individuals and their concerns about what private data they share on the platform is potentially being shared with Facebook owners of WhatsApp, something that many people only also discovered in the last couple of weeks. Now, instead of adding uh, more conjecture and mystery uh, to this particular topic, I thought I'd speak to an expert to find out, should we really be concerned about WhatsApp? Are the alternatives that people are encouraging us to use really any better? And what should we learn as users of free internet applications like WhatsApp and Google and Facebook and all of the others that we choose to use? Uh, What should we learn from this recent, I guess, wake-up call for many of us? So I phoned up Narishka Bone. Narishka is a good friend of mine, somebody I've known for many years. Uh, We've crossed paths many times in the social media space. She is an emerging technology law specialist. She's a legal technology innovator, and she's an international speaker on a range of topics, but not least of which the topic that we're discussing today, and also recognized globally as a blockchain and cryptocurrency expert and commentator as well. Um, Yeah, we just, on a very practical level, try to understand exactly what has happened, how much of a concern it should be for the average WhatsApp user, um, and then just try to strip it down into very normal and very accessible ideas that hopefully will help you navigate through the topic Uh, in a way that I found really, really interesting and really revealing. So let's jump right into it. I hope you enjoy the conversation with Narushka. So I guess the 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 question I'd love to start with uh, it's the it's the twenty billion dollar question um, <laughs> is should I be quitting Facebook? Should I be quitting WhatsApp? Let's start there. Um, and what else should I what else should I be thinking about in terms of my <laughs> online participation? Sure. So I've heard people call it weaning, weaning yourself off social media, and it seems to be a process as opposed to an overnight, um, you know, shut off exercise. So yeah. should you should you delete WhatsApp? Well, I think you need to make yourself aware of the facts. And then everybody yeah. needs to make their own decision. I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all type of answer. And yeah. um, I think basically with uh, WhatsApp in particular, uh, you know, a lot of the hysteria came about with this privacy policy update um, that mm, they asked everybody mm, sure. to click on. And that kind of put people up and said, oh, you know, if I don't accept this, I have to delete the app. You know what? Privacy policies are updated all the time. Yeah. Usually it's just a little tick box that says, accept our updated terms. And you mm-hmm. tick it without thinking twice and you continue to use of the course. app. The yeah. difference that WhatsApp did this time compared to all the other privacy policy updates we accept, you know, probably multiple um, in any given day, is that they actually gave us a few bullet points of information as to what they're going to do with our information. The biggest mm-hmm. one being that they're going to share across the Facebook group uh, with regards mm-hmm. to 
some new products that they're launching that will require sharing across platforms. Um, and they had this quite harsh sentence. If you do not accept by the 8th of February, 2021, you can no longer have access to the app. And mm-hmm. you know what? In any event, in any update, if you don't accept the terms, you're not going to have access to the app. It's, that's just how it is. You have to always accept the terms to, to have access to an app. I think it was just almost more like a, like a marketing thing or a psychological thing than anything else mm-hmm. because they did mm-hmm. it in this way and, and, and they have never done it in that way and nobody does it in this fashion. It kind of took people by surprise and it made them investigate further as to what actually am I sharing? Why do they want me to tick this box? You know, what's the big deal? And once they started digging deeper, you know, they uncovered that, you know, Facebook obviously owns WhatsApp. They've owned it since 2014. And now Facebook wants to create all sorts of new products that requires sharing of information across its platforms and and very much targeted at businesses. So they want, if you're a business and you have a Facebook account and a WhatsApp uh, business account, they want you to be able to chat to customers from the Facebook Mm. portal Mm. instead of having multiple screens open at any time, you know, to do um, customer relations. So that's where they are headed from a business perspective. And, and that's where the policy came about. From a user perspective, you know, it was a little bit jarring. Uh, I think also because of the lack of transparency we've had in the past when it comes to privacy policies, mm. when mm. One, one platform decides to be a little bit more transparent, it takes us by surprise. And it's really opened up a can of worms. So WhatsApp does stand behind themselves and they say they have something called end-to-end encryption and they say they do not read your private messages uh, that you yeah. send you send to people. It's only the sender and receiver who can see that. And they said it, you know, um, even after the, the hysteria came about, they've reiterated that they do not have access to that um, information um, and they've kind of clarified what information they will be sharing, which is something called metadata. So it's the information around your messages, which can still be quite personal information, you know, and and Mm -hmm. things that maybe you're still not comfortable uh, sharing. So many have made the jump to what they believe to be uh, more private uh, messaging platforms. Yeah, I think before we jump into, because there has been this exodus, and I I imagine Mm -hmm. that the powers that be at the the perceived competitive platforms, the the telegrams and the signals, must be yeah, throwing parties, well, yeah, socially yeah, yeah. distanced parties. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but they must be having a, a whale of a time at the moment. But, yep. but if, we, if we take a step back and, and try and play devil's advocate and, and look at this in a, in a way that makes sense to somebody who is very unfamiliar or very uncomfortable typically with technology, the kind of person yeah. that might still print their emails and, and file them, but but is 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 using WhatsApp on a daily basis simply because of the critical mass benefit of using yeah. the platform and the fact that it is probably the easiest way to connect with and share information with the most important people in their lives. Yeah. If we put it into language that's really accessible to understand, this is not this is not WhatsApp suddenly changing the way that it contracts with the user mm-hmm. it, it's two things number one it's it's a, an evolution on a, on an agreement that is already in place that most of us mm-hmm. probably weren't even aware of or mm-hmm. hadn't taken the time to understand and second of all as i understand it it is part of facebook's commitment to coming in line with new privacy policies uh, that are kind of, you know, being phased in in waves all over the world at the moment, right? Whether it's Poppy locally, 
Um, you know, there's there's other systems in the UK and the US that mm-hmm. really are an acknowledgement of the user's need for privacy. Is is that a fair way to look at it, or am I reading this incorrectly? No, no, you're you're hundred percent correct. It definitely is not a major change in the way they've already been doing things. So if you were comfortable with using WhatsApp in the past, this particular privacy update is not going to drastically change uh, what they've yes. always been doing. Yes, I think what it's done is actually highlighted what they've been doing all along. But definitely, they've not made a huge change in their practice uh, with this yeah. one privacy policy update. And then your second part about they are trying to comply with privacy laws. That's also correct because privacy laws want these platforms to be transparent as possible with you when it comes Mm. to how they use your data. So this little pop-up, I guess, was WhatsApp's way of trying to be transparent with its user base, which kind of backfired uh, in an incredible way. But but, but 100%, it's not a a major change in the way they've done things in the past, and they are actually attempting to comply with privacy laws, and that's why they've done it the way they've done it. And just to kind of put that into perspective, I guess, for somebody who, who isn't exposed to you know, for example, I've, I've been thinking about Poppy for a very long time because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in marketing. So it's been a topical um, change in regulatory frameworks that we've had to consider and that directly impacts our business. But for somebody who hasn't, maybe we can just explain in sort of plain language, why are governments around the world instituting new regulatory frameworks around people's private uh, data and their digital uh, information? Sure. So, I mean... You know, a lot of this industry, if you're looking at it from kind of a long-term perspective, they're all fairly new. Like the data industry is fairly new. Um, You know, Mm. a a few years ago, we didn't even have professions like data analytics and data scientists. You know, these are now Mm. professions uh, that kind of uh, were created around these uh, these new ways of doing business. And, you know, you may have heard the, the saying, data is the new oil, data is the new gold. You know, whoever has the most data seems to become as the, the richest organization just by the fact of having control over that much data. And it kind yeah. of happened, you know, it's almost like a chicken and egg kind of situation where these platforms were built. People couldn't really foresee where we were going to end up. And they were, they were basically given free reign to determine how to do things themselves. And they themselves have in-house community policies and guidelines as to how they regulate each individual, you know, social media platform and they kind of making Mm. it up, you know, as they go along. And Mm. now when, when they've actually, you know, been given all this power, so much so, you know, elections have been influenced based on social media platforms. You know, there's these things called bots that kind of influence conversations in places like Twitter, where people start believing things that that might be fake news because of uh, the way these these bots have been um, programmed to to spread Mm. certain types of information. So, you know, there's the fake news phenomenon, there's these influences in in, in elections and and politics and things like that. And then also there have been data breaches, you know, that's the other thing that's happened. Now, all of these kind of large scale incidents combined have led to regulators realizing, oh, you know what? These platforms are actually really powerful. They can actually control how the world, what the world believes in essence. And now they're saying we need to give these guys guidelines and frameworks 
about how they handle people's data because if we just continue to give them free reign, we can see how catastrophic that can be. But we're already quite far down the line. So it's, it's really difficult. You know, it's almost like trying to unscramble the egg. You know, the egg's already been scrambled and now you're sure. trying to put it, yeah. you're trying to put it back in the shelf, in the yes. shell yes. by putting these privacy laws and regulations in place. So, you know, that's kind of why you've seen privacy law take off all, all across the world. And, and, and we've seen all these big fines being levied here and there trying to get these, these, you know, the, the, they call them the Silicon Valley gods to comply with all of this. Uh, but where they're based in, in the U.S., they don't actually have comprehensive data privacy laws. If you compare it to Europe, they have what you call industry-specific laws, uh, state-specific mm-hmm. laws, but not one uh, U.S. Uh, privacy law. They, they're saying now with the new administration, we may see that change. Uh, there might be a focus now on privacy uh, going forward, and we may see that actually come up from, from the U.S. But right now, the main law that people look at is in the in Europe, um, and, and and we're seeing that reflected in quite a strong way. Because if we go back to the WhatsApp privacy policy, if you're in in the EU um, or if you're part of the EEA, the European Economic Area, you actually don't have to agree to Facebook sharing your information across its platforms. They've removed that that requirement for people based in Europe because of the GDPR, because of the potential fines from the GDPR. Uh, that they could face, they're actually going to speak to the regulators first, get upfront approval for European data, and then start okay. sharing data. Whereas the rest of the world, they're like, well, you guys say accept, um, and then and then we'll do as you please. And, you know, so that that's kind of where, where the laws are coming from. And, you know, the, 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 the regulators themselves, even in the US, I don't know if you saw about two years ago, or and even last year, they did it again, where uh, members of Congress and members of the Senate actually invite the the CEOs of these companies to come and talk about what they're doing with data. And if you listen Mm, to the mm. questions being asked, very, very basic questions. So if you if you want to go look at the one with with Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Facebook and and the Senate, he basically had to explain how the internet works, he had to explain what a cloud is, he had to explain the advertising business model. And these Mm, are the people mm. making the laws. So, yeah. you know, it's, 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 a, it's a bit of a crazy situation where we have the lawmakers not really even understanding um, how these platforms work, but they still need to regulate those platforms. All right. So if we, if we hop in a time machine, Narushka, and we go back two decades, you know, sort of uh, circa Y2K, um, yeah. this internet thing for, for the average person, you know, for the non-geek or the non-technologist is still fairly new, still... Um, something that is a part of their lives, but not at the center of their lives. You know, I have an email address. I'll look stuff up online, but I'm not, I'm not making decisions around mm-hmm. a digital existence, really. And in, and in only two decades, in half a generation, it's, it's become the linchpin in our communication. It's become a central point of our decision making. It's become how we consume news and information. It's about how we entertain ourselves. I mean, it's, it really is the, the, what makes the world go round. And, and I mm. think what we're acknowledging is that business has had to scramble um, to keep up with that. I mean, most businesses that I work with are still just trying to figure out how to uh, organize the information that they have about their customers, never mind yeah. use it in a meaningful way and mm. to improve the relationship between their business and, and, and the people that contract with them. 
governments, as we've mentioned, are scrambling as well. But as is often the case, you know, lawmakers, policymakers aren't technologists by nature and have a, a fairly superficial understanding of the underlying principles of the technology world. But even behind that is the rest of us, mm. <laughs> who are people that have been using these technologies for a very long time. And this is the interesting thing. And this is what seems to be missing from the conversation for me is that nobody forced me to use Google. Mm -hmm. Nobody mm -hmm. forced me to sign up to Gmail. Nobody mm -hmm. held a gun to my head and said, you have to be on Facebook now. Um, mm -hmm. I willingly and enthusiastically elected yep. to participate in all of these platforms. I mm -hmm. obviously scrolled past the terms and conditions. Mm -hmm. I accepted over and over again, <laughs> this contract to use these platforms for free. I mm -hmm. willingly made them a central part of my life and mm -hmm. didn't really ever stop to think about whether or not that was a good idea. And I, I guess what I'm suggesting is there seems to be a shortage of conversation around the accountability of the individual, the user in this contract, in this, in this relationship. Uh, Facebook is nothing without you and I. Um, mm. And yet we're not really thinking about how much we've contributed towards all the things that we consider to be unsatisfactory about that platform or that relationship now. What do you see changing in the way that individual users think about their participation online and their, you know, kind of their relationship, their contractual agreement with the WhatsApps, the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the Telegrams, whatever it is in the world? No, I think you've, you've really, you know, gotten to the crux of the matter. And that is, you know, what what should we do? And, and, and aren't we complicit in where we've ended up today? So I think there's two sides to that argument. The one is definitely yeah. we are. You know, nobody held a gun to our head, as you said, and said, you have to sign up on Facebook or, you know, X, Y, and Z will happen to you. We all did it voluntarily. Uh, new shiny things, you know, it, it all it all looked quite nice and, and, and good to us. And we all said, let's make use of these uh, incredibly f and, and free products. And I think that's maybe where we made the mistake by thinking that they are free. Free means for us, maybe it means, oh, we're not paying for it in, in monetary terms, therefore it's free. But we are paying in other ways. And I think that's yes, the awareness yes. people need to understand. And I think that's where... The, the mind shift hasn't happened yet. People are still looking at this as a free, no strings attached arrangement where I get to use beautiful services, you know, great user design, all of these things completely for free without any, any responsibility. But it's not that. We are paying. We're just paying in a non-monetary way. We're paying with our information, be it everything that we voluntarily upload, our content, our photographs, our videos, whatever it is, and mm -hmm. everything we, and, 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 and there's a whole host of other things that we're not uploading. So things like IP addresses, how long your mouse hovered over a particular picture, whose profile mm -hmm. you're viewing, you know, various location types of information, who your contacts are, who's in the same household as you, because they can obviously put together these IP addresses are always in the same place. Therefore, these are people of the same household. You know, there's, all of these other things that we find out later as privacy awareness uh, becomes, you know, uh, discussed more openly, that starts to freak people out. But, you know, these things have been there all the time. They've also yes. been in the privacy policy all the time. All the privacy policy that we've just been kicking sure. yes to and agreeing to all these agreements in the background, uh, they've actually been telling us all this time, this is what I'm doing. 
uh, it's all here in the privacy policy. So I think, you know, definitely us by not taking accountability and ownership and saying, you know, I didn't go and investigate what actual information I was sharing. And now when I find out, you know, I'm completely distraught and can't believe, you know, it's almost they make it uh, the, the platform's fault. It's Facebook's fault. Yeah, and the best part is I, I complain about it on Facebook. Complain about it on Facebook that I'm deleting my Facebook tomorrow. <laughs> it's the height of irony, yeah. <laughs> All of these things. Uh, but the, the other side of the argument is that, you know, these platforms are obviously taking advantage of us in certain ways as well. They basically, their entire business model is a game of attention. Whoever can get you to stare at your phone the longest wins. Why do they win? Yeah. Because they can sell the most ads. Now, if I'm only going to look at my phone for five seconds a day, they can only sell five seconds of my time. They're not going to make any money. If they can find mm. a way to get me to look at my phone for two or three hours a day, they can sell a lot more ads in that period of time and they sure. can make a lot more money. So they are very, very smart people uh, who have figured out how to psychologically wire these platforms so that it becomes super addictive for us um, and that we become glued to it. And, you know, the, the scary part about all of it is that they know more about us than we know about ourselves. You know, if somebody asks you, you know, what content would you like to consume, you know, on Facebook, what videos, you might say some intellectual thing, you know, I, I like to learn about history, things about World War Two, blah, blah, mm. blah, you know, that's my type of content. However, Facebook knows that you like to watch videos of people falling down. And they will continuously yeah, push videos of people, that. Yeah. <laughs> of people falling down, and you keep scrolling through them because you're like, haha, that's so funny. And you then end up in this mindless scroll of, of fails or whatever, whatever it is. And they know that that's your preferred content without you even admitting it. Uh, that's what they figured out based on their data analytics with all the various information sources they've garnered about you and what you've watched in the past. Mm, mm. They continue to feed you that, that stuff that makes you stay on uh, for longer. So there's these addictions being created now. We don't even know the long-term impact of these addictions because we just don't have that type of research yet. But, you know, it can't yeah. be a good thing. Um, you know, there's definitely negative uh, side effects to that. So these are the kind of ethical questions that are being raised. And I think if you watch that Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, you know, a lot of the people who came forward who've worked for all of the big uh, social media companies, you know, that's basically the message that they're saying. You know, they, it's kind of an ethical line rather than a legal line. And I think, you know, we need to move towards ethical handling of information, ethical handling of data. The laws enough are not really going to solve uh, the problem. It's more about having companies starting to do the right thing, which, you know, I don't have the answer for it, but I think if we start moving in that direction, we'll perhaps, you know, get where we need to be. If this is your first time listening to The One-Eyed Man and you're wondering what I'm trying to achieve here, why don't you take a moment to go back to the trailer episode at the beginning of season one? It's really short, I promise, and will give you some insight and context. If you're enjoying the show, please consider sharing this episode or The One-Eyed Man channel with... Well, all of your friends in the entire world. And now, back to the show. There's a, there's a few points I think there that are so so important that I want to just reflect on quickly. The, the, the mm -hmm. first one 
Narishka, I think that that people really need to appreciate and understand. And and I want to, at the risk of sounding condescending, want want to mm-hmm. repeat this because I think it is such a material topic for for users and uh, for listeners of the show, and also for their family members and, and kids to yeah. understand. Is that you, you spoke about the kind of the overt demographic or you know, kind of personal information that we share, you and I are using the term data. And I think often people get that confused with what I buy from Vodacom or MTN. We're not talking mm-hmm. about the ability to communicate using broadband communicate. We're talking about our personal information, right? Mm-hmm. And the fact that all of us are born kind of with a bank balance, a virtual bank balance of private information, whether it's health data or, you know, kind of, our, as you said, our viewing or entertainment habits or our, our purchasing data, and that bank balance is is something that we actively deplete when we use free apps. Mm-hmm. We exchange that from that, but but the important point to make there is that we do deplete it. It doesn't really get replenished, and there is a there is a danger in in emptying out that bank account, uh, and then and then wondering why uh, we're exposed to spam attacks or phishing or identity theft or mm-hmm. any of the other dangerous side effects that that come with that. Obviously, your your personal identity framework is only as strong as its weakest link, your worst password mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. And I know this is another topic that you care deeply about, and I'd love mm-hmm. to to pick your brain on on the topic of decentralization and and, mm-hmm. and protecting information through through really innovative new technologies. But the second thing I think is interesting is you you make this really nuanced differentiation between. Kind of, you know, as as a willing buyer, willing seller, open free market method. You know, looking mm. looking at Facebook and my relationship purely from a capitalist perspective, there is a part of that that is, yeah, you know, I understand clearly what I'm doing, and I understand clearly what they're doing. But that's a healthy market, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's symmetry of information, and I'm not operating under any misguided uh, reality. However, there's this other component we, that you're speaking about, this slightly more, I don't want to say nefarious, but slightly more clandestine component to it, which I think people are starting to realize is some of these companies, I think, haven't even done this on purpose. They've just kind mm-hmm. of stumbled across the realization that, oh, my word, we know this about people. You know, I think of what discovery must know about me. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the dilemmas they face is is exactly what you're talking about is where do I draw the line between what I know about somebody and what I should know about somebody and, mm-hmm. and the ethical use of that information, um, even if they've given me permission to use it. I mean, you know, th- this is a really interesting differentiation. And, you know, I think we're going to see lots of developments in the next couple of years, certainly in the competitive space uh, from disruptors who understand that ethical contract better and are able to provide users with more security even if they're mm-hmm. not asking for it in that respect. And I think that might be an interesting new dimension to this relationship. No, 100%. I think it's it's that level of awareness that really the consumer is only waking up to now. They've been doing all of this for, for a very long time. And we've kind of been eyes closed to a lot of it and just um, accepted the free goodies without thinking, what am I giving in, in return for this? And now, as the conversation becomes more mainstream um, as to what these these platforms are actually doing, now the consumer is saying, wait, actually, I'm not comfortable with this. Wait, actually, I have options. I don't have to be using this platform. I can do um, X, Y, and Z. And I think yeah. when the consumer starts actually taking action is hopefully when we start seeing the move towards ethical handling of data, because now they're realizing 
there are other options out there which won't do X, Y, and Z with my information. Let me go try yes. that. Um, and, yes. and I think this is the first time we're kind of seeing, you know, people actually doing what they say as opposed to threatening to delete Facebook or threatening to do this, threatening to do that, and then, you know, never actually doing it because of lack of options. Um, whereas now we're seeing an increase in, in, in potential other options. And yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if, you know, this either creates proper change in behavior or, you know, if we, we're just going to continue with the same old and, um, you know, we just make these threats, but we, we continue using these nice, free, shiny products. Well, that, that segues really nicely into the next question. Cause I was one of the people that was like, Oh yeah, let's all go to Telegram. Uh, mm-hmm. and then I'm like, who the hell is Telegram? Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> we we sort of repeating the same behavior, aren't mm-hmm. we? We're we, we're all very upset with WhatsApp for whatever reason it is that we've decided to be upset with them, mm-hmm. and off we go because there's, like you said, a shiny new uh, alternative. Mm-hmm. But none of us have really stopped to go. Am I going from the frying pan into the fire here, exactly. or you know, am I? Is this? It, what am I actually getting in terms of security, or does it just look different? It, it, again, sort of you know, further proof of your point that we need to be far more deliberate about our decisions about what we use and share. But talk to me a little bit about the, the sort of two winners of the mm. WhatsApp exodus, Telegram and Signal, and, and your reading of their role in the ecosystem. And what should listeners be thinking about if they're if they're registering new profiles on those platforms? Yeah, so Telegram and, and Signal obviously came out as the front runners in this in this exodus from WhatsApp. I'm not sure if it was their marketing or, you know, exactly what made them stand out from the rest because they are actually, you know, other options too, but those two sure. definitely were, were, were the front runners. And, and, you know, they, they also have their pros and cons. So as you said, it's not just, it's again, people are following the herd, not taking the time to interrogate or see what are these platforms going to do? You know, what, what can I do on these platforms and what are the, the pros and cons? They just say, oh, People say we must delete WhatsApp and use Telegram or Signal. Let's do that. It's the exact same mentality that got you onto WhatsApp and Facebook in the same place that's getting you to move Telegram and, and, and Signal. So, you sure. know, Telegram and Signal, yeah, they, they're both okay. Uh, Telegram is, is a Russian-owned app. It also started out with, you know, very kind of philanthropic ideals in terms of messaging and things like that. However, after a number of years, it's also making the move towards a profit system and it will start putting in ads and things like that in its in its groups um, at some point because it is running out of money mm-hmm. so, so so they do have that kind of plans coming up there have also been some other type of of privacy issues that have been um, alerted to from telegram so you know people have said keep your kids off telegram because there's a function that if you keep your location settings on you can actually view groups that are nearby you and people are sharing yeah. all sorts of adult content on their pornography and things like that, which a child may stumble upon if the settings aren't uh, appropriate on their, on their Telegram app. Yeah, sorry, that's something that somebody brought up with me and, and I, there is a people nearby feature, is that correct, yeah. in Telegram that is now, now if you are, like I am, a parent of teenagers who have now suddenly migrated to Telegram mm-hmm. or started to, how do, I, how do I change that setting or how do I fix that for people who are asking that same question? So basically it's a location setting. De- uh, depending on the phone you're using, usually if you go into your settings, um, each app has a point there and you go into that app under your settings 
and it will have okay. an option for you to turn location off. So you can choose which apps you can share location with, with and which apps you can't. So for example, things like Uber and Google Maps, you'd want your location on, otherwise you wouldn't be able to use those apps. Uh, whereas a messaging app, you probably want your uh, location off because you don't really need to share location in order to message somebody. So, you know, sure, you can actually sure. go through your apps on your phone and, and turn the location sharing off, especially, you know, if, if kids are using Telegram, it would be advisable to do that because they don't stumble upon content that they shouldn't be seeing. That being said, you know, if a child really wants to um, and they have an Internet accessible phone, they can basically do anything. So it is it is a step in the right direction, but doesn't mean you're going to save them from all the scaries um, out there on the Internet. Of course, so, of course. So yeah. that's so that's Telegram, and then uh, Signal is actually a nonprofit. Uh, one of the the early members of Signal actually came. It was one of the co-founders of WhatsApp. He actually left WhatsApp because you know he had good intentions for WhatsApp in terms of not monetizing people's data and, and allowing this encrypted platform for people to communicate safely on. And when it was taken over by Facebook. Um, you know, his kind of values didn't align with Facebook's values. And so he left uh, WhatsApp and he then donated about $50 million into Signal uh, because I think Signal actually uses similar or the same uh, encryption software that, that WhatsApp is using. So he is mm. now uh, looking at Signal and, and, and it is a nonprofit. So it functions off donations. But similar to what the, the WhatsApp founder uh, donated. And, you know, I don't know any other large amount. It's the only public amount that we're aware of. But given the fact that they do have some high profile users, such as Edward Snowden and Elon Musk, potentially, you know, uh, people like that could be uh, making large donations in the back end that we that we are not aware of. And also all the other millions of users could be making smaller donations that may be adding up to, to keep them alive. Narishka, you know, uh, there are platforms and apps that I do use. Uh, mm -hmm. Two leading examples would be LinkedIn and Strava, where there was always a payment option um, mm -hmm. from the beginning that yeah. I had, you know, I had an option either to pay for an ad-free experience or for mm -hmm. some sort of premium feature set or analytics. And I've been quite willing to do that. And it, this is something that I've thought about quite a lot over the last while is, is the difference between starting a network like that with the ability to charge people in a, in a completely transparent way for either for extra security or for, you know, kind of a lack of intrusive content or whatever it might be. Mm. And I think that might be one of the trends that we're seeing is that the assumption that the only way to make money off social networks is advertising, mm. uh, hopefully is something that's going to age poorly. But I, I guess only time will tell. Exactly, exactly. And no, I 100% agree with you. That is one of the trends we're seeing. It's you know, you can have the the sell your data for ads experience and, and, and have the free the premium version or you can opt for the premium version, but then you have to pay something because, you know, all of these organizations are organizations, they're companies, they're there to make money. Sure, they're not sure. they're not all nonprofits. So we do have to understand at the end of the day, if we want the service and we want a good service, we have to pay for it either with our data or, or with money. So you know, maybe we'll see yeah. more organizations moving in that in that lane of paid versus free. You know, there's also been a lot Let's of surveys so, yeah. done on online where people actually say, you know, would you pay for this service or would you use a service if it was paid for? And they're like, no. You know, people are also very used to the freemium model because um, we've been paying with our data for so long. 
paying for, you know, like a social media network is almost like a foreign concept. So it will take a while for people to, you know, to start coming up to the idea that, you know what, if I don't want to trade my data, maybe there's paid options that will give me the same level of service, but uh, without the trade in, in data. You know, and that's if you're dealing, obviously, with the for-profit organization signal, the non-profit organization, as we say, we don't know how long they can last as a non-profit. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's depending on the donations that are coming in. Um, you know, they went, I think they jumped from like 30 million to 50 million in a couple of days and they, their systems crashed. Uh, they were offline for a, for a period of time because they couldn't keep up mm-hmm. with the demand. Whereas WhatsApp, yeah. you know, has over 2 billion users. So Signal can't manage 50 million, whereas WhatsApp is busy busy doing 2 billion. So you can see the difference in scale and the difference in size between the sure. two. Can Signal really be the next WhatsApp if it can't handle 50 million? You know, it, 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 and if they're going to really scale up to 2 billion, do they have enough donations to take them there? You know, 50 million US dollars might sound like a lot, but in Silicon Valley terms, it's just a, really a drop in the ocean. So will it remain a niche uh, messaging tool for those who really want privacy or will it be a goal, you know, properly mainstream, you know, only time will tell. Uh, because as you, as we know, WhatsApp still has the bulk of the users on its platform and, you know, users have been pretty comfortable up till now using WhatsApp. Sure. So, I, so I don't see it falling down as the front runner, but I do see people being more aware of their privacy and people having options which they weren't aware of before. Like, I think many people did not know Telegram and Signal existed uh, a few weeks ago, and now they know they, they know those options exist. So I think uh, that level of awareness um, is really what's been increasing in this last few weeks. So from your perspective, you know, and I, I'm not going to ask you to divulge necessarily your, your personal uh, usage preferences, but... Mm-hmm. What advice would you be giving the average family? And I, and I use the word family quite intentionally because I think one of the big concerns people have is around more around their, their kids' use of the yeah. platforms than our own. Where would you steer people in terms of what are the, what are the basics that they need to consider and, and how do they, as much as is humanly possible, be more conscious about their usage and, and protect their data uh, in the long term? It's not an easy thing to determine. You know what I mean? There's no like Mm. black and white to say, tick these three boxes and you're completely secure online or do these three things and um, you can do whatever you want or don't use these apps, but use these apps. There's there's actually no black and white answer. There's just like a lot of gray in between. And you have to figure out where on the spectrum you sit from a risk perspective. So obviously there's the one end of the scale where you're using all the platforms you know, you sharing all your information, blah, blah, blah. you like, you know, completely free when it comes to information sharing online and you're not too concerned about who's using your data, who's selling your data. All of those things are really not a concern for you. And then there's the other extreme where, you know, you want to be on the most private, most secure app. Um, you know, you want to only use Signal because you feel there's no ulterior motives. You're not on any of the Facebook social media. You're not on Twitter. You're not on Snapchat. You know, maybe you even surf the internet using something called the, the Tor browser, the Onion Router browser, where you can't be tracked. Maybe you have burner phones when you travel overseas. You know, they, they, like, how far do you go? Because if you're using the internet, somebody's tracking you, whether it's Google or whoever it is, somebody is tracking you once you once you're on the internet. 
how much you're being tracked and by which organizations, then you have some leeway as to decide, you know, where the line is. Then if you feel, you know, there's a lot of useful tools out there, perhaps from a business perspective, you want to um, use Facebook ads, you want to publicize your blogs, your content on Twitter and LinkedIn and all of these spaces, and you think, you know, I need to make use of all these platforms, then you're going in eyes open because now you're leveraging those same people who are collecting the data to, you know, create these ads and, and learn about you. You are then leveraging it for your own benefit. But then you have to understand, I'm going to use all these platforms. This is what they're taking from me, but this is also what I'm getting back from them. You know, so you kind of have to figure out where's your line in the sand for yourself. I think, you know, things that you have control over, like sharing information about yourself, your location, where you are, when you go on holiday. Um, you know, a lot of people tag locations in, in all of their posts and, you know, like certain things like that that you have um, or pictures of your kids, you know, things like that that you have control over. Perhaps in those mm, areas, mm. you can kind of minimize it. Dial it Perhaps back a bit. Yeah. Dial it back a bit. Um, you know, make sure your passwords are, 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 are secure. Use things like two-factor authentication where it's appropriate and where it's um, allowed. So that means, you know, more than one method uh, of, of verification before you sign in. So a password plus a one-time pin or whatever it may be. See what security options are out there. Look, actually go and look at your privacy settings. A lot of these platforms, actually give you options. If you go into your privacy settings, you can actually turn stuff off. You know, from that perspective, if you go and do a little privacy audit of all the platforms you decide you want to use, go and try and make it so that it's at the at the highest settings that of your comfort level. You know, these are little things you can do, but at the, at the same time, it's a trade-off. You know, there's convenience in, in being online. There's benefits of being online. Um, there's connecting with family members that may be living in all different parts of the world. There's business benefits of, of, of having a presence online. So if you want to, to grab those benefits, you're going to have to be aware that you are trading uh, some parts of your privacy and your data on the other hand. And I think the more aware you are uh, when you're online, the better, because then you can make informed decisions as opposed to doing everything online and then being shocked later on when you find out what's happening behind the scenes with your information. So just try and be as aware as possible and where you have the option of sharing, uh, an option of turning stuff off, you know, take those options and, and add those uh, little layers of security where you can. But it's, it's really difficult to say, you know, you can be completely private and completely offline. You know, I think it's, I think we passed that point, you know, unless you're going to go live in yeah, a cabin yeah. somewhere and without the internet and, you know, completely disconnected and live a completely different lifestyle, you know, maybe then go for it. But if you want to live the modern lifestyle that we're all in, I really can't see how you can do it without these these apps being part of your life. I, I haven't figured it out. Yeah. So it's it's not a case of yes or no or in or out. It's a case of just be conscious and aware. Mm-hmm. Um, know what it is that you are actively and willingly participating in. Uh, and if you don't know, then investigate and ask questions yeah. and speak to Narishka and listen to the podcast and things like that. Uh, as always, you are such a lucid voice um, in, in the middle of these quite complex topics. And I just want to thank you for your work and for your wisdom and experience and for sharing that with us so willingly. Um, you've been, I've seen you helping people out on radio and on LinkedIn and all over the show, just being a, you know, kind of a balanced perspective on things. Narishka, how can people get hold of you if they want to find out more about the talks that you give or the consulting that you do? Where do, where do they reach out to you? 
can find me on all the scary social media platforms, LinkedIn, <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> Easiest would be email. It's me at nerushkabowen.com, N-E-R-U-S-H-K-A-B-O-W-A-N.com. Cool. And I'll, I'll put the link to your website uh, in the show notes as well so people can get a hold of you there. Thank you for making time for me on short notice. It's always such a pleasure to chat. And uh, yeah, good luck for, for uh, let's hope that uh, lockdown starts to ease up and, and life gets back to normal soon. But uh, yeah, best of luck for, for the home parenting and home working. <laughs> thanks so much. Uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. Cool, man. Chat to you soon. Bye-bye. Cool. Bye. You've been listening to the One-Eyed Man podcast. I'm Mike Stopforth, an entrepreneur, writer, and public speaker, deeply curious about discovering better ways to lead and better ways to live in an increasingly complex world. I find the best source of these ideas is the experience and wisdom of interesting people who are taking unconventional approaches to solving the world's most compelling problems. If you'd like to hear from someone I haven't yet spoken to, visit MikeStopforth.com Click on the podcast link and send through your suggestions. A big thanks to the Solid Gold Podcast Studios in Johannesburg, South Africa for making this production possible. And remember, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man slash person is king. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.